Hello and welcome to the show where people talk about things. I don't know what you want me to say. I'm your host, Slave, and I'm joined as always by my very good friends, Slave and Eugene. Oh, sweet. Uh, I thought it was going to be Slave too, but <laughs> I, just I really pulled the rug. Want. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. What, yeah. What pull pull, pull the rug out from under you, Eugene. Uh, I do notice that you did let Slave take off his mask for this, uh, but uh, I really wish you had kept it on because he's, he's not looking real good. I, he doesn't look great. I, no, I, I think I I'm going to have him put his mask back on. I don't know what you want me to on. say. Uh, Slave, put your mask uh, back on. He only has no hands now, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's only got no hands. <laughs> he's only got no hands. Yeah, he can't put the mask on. Well, it's your boy. Boys, we're back with another mini pod, and this week we're talking about the uh, 2008 horror film The Poughkeepsie Tapes, uh, directed by John Eric Dowdle of the Dowdle Brothers. And we're gonna jump into that, but before we do. Last week, when we did our Strangers episode, we actually forgot to do our predictions updates. So we're going to do that now. All right. So for the Strangers, pray at night. Pray at night. Matisse, you predicted this movie would have a 32 on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and make $40 million at the box office. Eugene, yeah, I didn't you expected have uh, uh, 15 on Rotten Tomatoes, wow. and it would make $2 million. Wow, yeah, I was rough You lowballed hard. Right. I, no. I guess that it would get a 12 on Rotten Tomatoes and make $8 million. What wow. are the actual numbers? 38% on so Rotten Tomatoes. 38 on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And what did I say, like 30 or something like that? 32? You were the closest for that. Yeah, my box office numbers are saying 25 million. That's funny. I was more optimistic about it than both of you. Right, and you Just by a like little bit, it, and I like yeah. it the least out of all of us. Well, hey, there you go. So what's the score at? We had Insidious, and uh, if I remember correct, you each got one for Insidious. Yeah, I think we one were One of us got the dead split. Rotten Tomato score. The other got the box office. Uh, God Particle, I think Eugene got the uh, Rotten Tomato score. There was no box office, obviously. Yeah. And so it should be uh, three to two. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, Well, yeah, baby. We'll update that as more of these movies come out. But let's get into our... uh, Main topic for the day, like we said, we're talking about the Poughkeepsie tapes. Um, The Dowdle brothers are kind of interesting to me because they have some really dumb fucking movies. Yeah, if you don't know who they are, you've definitely heard of their uh, fantastic remake of... uh Wreck, the Spanish zombie film called Quarantine. Which, which fucking sucks. Sucked. It blew its load right from the start. Posters, advertisements. They, I, uh, I've never seen the original, but I hear from anybody Wreck, who has. Wreck, is, Wreck is good, good, but Quarantine is a hot, stupid mess. Did they write Devil? I believe they wrote and directed it. Oh, yes. they did directed too. Fuck, yeah. that's oh, a yeah, really, right, it, ooh, yeah. Uh, that's a really fucking terrible movie. The M Night Shyamalan produced Devil right, about four people stuck in an elevator with the devil. Whatever goodwill <laughs> you can give to Quarantine for 
how it was butchered in the marketing. Devil had all the opportunity, and it did. Oh, no, God, it's a fucking a stupid one. movie. Fell right on its face. And then they did uh, As Above, So Below, right? It's another found Catacombs, Catacombs. Witch movie. Uh, which I never saw because it looked really fucking stupid. And, and then they did No Escape, uh, where it's not a horror movie. It's about Owen Wilson and his family trying to escape, uh, as it said, a South Asian country during a uh, a coup. Oh yeah, I saw the previews for that. That yeah. was kind of good. I didn't. Well, I didn't see it. I didn't the crazy see it. thing about all these movies is that even <laughs> when they were absolute trash, all of them. Made their money back and more, more so. Like they were, I would say, successes. So well, they I, did. Uh, they did the the Waco miniseries yes, yes, that just which, wrapped up a, a few weeks ago. I right, would totally recommend. Best TV show I've seen all year. I only oh, saw wow. the first Amazing. episode and I liked it a lot. Same, so I yeah, need to. Was, uh, incredible. Was, Michael Shannon is incredible in it. Taylor Kitsch oh, is Michael surprisingly incredible. <laughs> yeah, he as, needs a win. <laughs> uh, David Crash. Yeah, he does. He like, was. He was going. In the way of the next, like Sam Worthington and Jai Courtney. I mean, he was just in uh, Shape of Water. Oh Michael no, we Sh- were talking about Taylor. Oh, Kitsch. oh, yeah. okay. I thought yeah. you were talking about and Michael Shannon needing a oh, win. Oh no, no, like, no, 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 Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon Jai Courtney is, isn't is in Shape of Water. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so, Sally yeah. Hawkins falling in love with Captain Boomerang from Samurai. That's that's the weird fucking thing. Is that like. Waco's really good, and the Poughkeepsie Tapes is a fucking fantastic movie, so I'm very confused about the Dowdles, like, why are some of their movies so bad, and then some of their things so good? It's like there's no middle ground. It's on opposite ends of the spectrum. It's either the worst thing ever, or the greatest thing ever. Well, if... I had been only told that the Dowdle brothers made quarantine all the way up to uh, to Waco. With Waco, I I was enjoying, but all those other movies just uh, no, they all suck. Being all trash, I feel so much differently because of seeing the Poughkeepsie tapes. Where I don't mind. I'm happy these guys are still making movies because yeah, man, I mean, good for them. This because uh, I had not seen it until you guys had talked about it and. We we chose it for this episode. And well, man, yeah, that's the cool. thing. Like, it's so crazy because all their movies are pretty panned on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. Even Poughkeepsie was, yeah, you know, pretty. Uh, Poughkeepsie's got like a six point one rating on IMDb and yeah, like it's a in the two 50s like a, on Rotten Tomato. It's a two point nine on Letterbox. Which um, part of that might be because this film seems to have a very weird history of its is distribution and it was supposed to be in theaters yeah it yeah, yeah. And- it was made in like 2007 and it was supposed to come it was supposed to have a theatrical release there were trailers before movies yeah 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 and then the studio pulled it without we were just talking about like without even telling the dowdles or something yeah like they that. found out on the internet up. they the fucking makers of the movie found out that it wasn't getting a theatrical release on the fucking internet like how sad is that it was just like nowhere for years and years and then it got a video on demand release in 2014, I think. Yep. And oh, then wow. seven yeah. this last November, it just finally got a Blu-ray release. Thank God. Yeah. So I, I do think part of this uh, this film being so under the radar is that like it just they got fucked when it came out. Right. Seriously. It seems like this is a. Only a movie that uh, you had to find it through specific avenues in certain bays, you may say, from various pirates. 
<laughs> you, you could find this movie because it just seemed to be so hard to attain anywhere else and yeah, it's such a sad thing. It's great that it's on Blu-ray now. Yeah, I'm really glad that people... it's gotten a Blu-ray release because this is a, a really, truly fantastic, uh, well-made film. In and... a way, I think having it so storied in its release kind of builds the legacy in the, of the movie. I think so, too. I, I, I think so, too. Especially because, like, you could very technically call it a found footage movie but it's more it's more kind of like a mockumentary well, it's, a, it's a mockumentary about found footage yeah. <laughs> right 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 well it's it's done in the style of like one of those uh you know daytime tv true crime shows forensic like files, forensic yes. files just like super over dramatized they look like they were all made in the 90s even if they were made a year ago just like really super cornball but this movie like i think that that style overall really benefits what makes it so good and also like this is a super disturbing movie yes like we all watch a lot of like really violent gory shit and this is one of the only horror movies that i find really really viscerally disturbing that like actually affects me yeah well and the thing is too like the majority of stuff you see that's disturbing in this movie is not even shown it's off screen the restraint is is uh is really So much is left to the imagination, and your imagination just pushes the worst imaginable things. Of course. And that's why it's so disturbing. If we saw the Water Street Butcher just cutting people up, it wouldn't have the same effect. Yeah, the majority of the kills are are, uh, off screen, but what it does decide to show you, and at at the times that it decides to show you these things, too, also, like really hammers that stuff home i think it has a lot of restraint but every now and then it will show you something that is just so horrifying that it just like seeps into your fucking bones you know like i've i've seen this movie twice now i think i think this was the second time i watched it and this is not a movie that I can go back to again and again and again. Like I have to I have to take some time between my viewings of this movie, you know? Well, I think the Dardles do an amazing job with this movie of taking the shortcomings of a limited budget and using them to push the authenticity of the film. You know, in low budget films you don't often get the greatest actors, but that's, you know, mended by using Forensic Files style yeah, exactly. docudrama and found footage as a kind of a conceit and even video quality like that's masks because it's you know it's a found footage yeah. mask movie. Well so the premise is uh Police investigators find in an abandoned house just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, videotapes showing murder, torture, just chronicling like the years and years and years long career of a serial killer who they have been uh, chasing for all this time and Dubbed unable to catch. The Water Street The Water Butcher. Street Butcher. This uh, takes place in Poughkeepsie, New York, hence the title, The Poughkeepsie Tapes. It's apparently where your family has a, has a house upstate, yes, Eugene. Yes, right. Just one of those small, nice, little, quiet places. It can add on to so much horror and a lot of these things to not make it, I don't know, in like rundown neighborhoods or to place it in like bigger cities, but just to know where 
you at least suspected that. Well, uh, right, and that's the thing like about that's the thing about this killer too. He's like. They basically build him up to be the right, the, most, the most prolific, the smartest <laughs> serial killer in history, which, I mean, we joke about, but they and do Hannibal a... Hannibal Lecter went for an art degree. <laughs> they, they, do, they do a really good job of that. It seems that his sole M.O. is changing his M.O. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And taunting the police. That, like, is, that is how we... You know, we always say, "Well, how did he get caught suitors?" Because he always switched it up. Anytime yeah, they, because he never, he never does anything the same. He gets a thrill from the hunt. For any any evidence that the police ever found is because he led them right to it. Right. Yeah. So he's always three steps ahead of the game. Yeah. It's like you said, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. You know. I feel like some of the amazing serial killer stuff works because they kind of ramp it up through the movie yeah they're like at first they play downplay him a little bit and as the movie goes on like they add more and more like crazy surreal-ish right well stuff. The thing, right the thing i really appreciated about this is because when i was younger there was a tv in my room and my mom would always go in and watch things on court tv all of these true crime stories and so they would always really freak me out but then i would always watch some where they were just so cheesy they would have the reenactments and the narration and then he went on a killing spree and just uh, while it has it has some sillier moments just with the actors that they had because sometimes that's just you can't get you always get professionals but that this is a well-made fake true crime show that yeah yeah exactly they they hide a lot of the the low budget and the bad acting and stuff in the fact that it is a you know a forensic file style uh true crime show you know right there's no joke that's really trying to be made from that like and hey shit that stuff is really schlocky sometimes i feel like it always, sometimes veers into like exploitation oh yeah, Some of these yeah sure i agree that um, they didn't want to go for that that they actually went out to do this seriously which and you know they do such a good job of it too that i think if you showed this to somebody who wasn't aware of its existence, you could probably convince them that it that it's actually real. Yeah. You know, Blair Blair Witch style, it's like they they don't do anything that puts it too far outside of the realm of possibilities. I think that's part of what makes it so disturbing too, is that it's it's scary in the way that only something real can be scary, you yeah. know? And they, and they never try and uh, become too omniscient with the way that the murderer thinks. Like, the first setup we get for him, they don't know what could have set off this spree within him. We, we see, because he starts recording it, but they say it could have been a fight with a loved one, he could have been laid off from a job, whatever that was. Like, that's when we're introduced. And I think that's really uh, great, too, that... It's not one specific thing that it could be anything that could set him off because that happens with any killer one thing makes them snap right there's you know there's that speculation that you don't know really what what did it it's just that he 
at a certain point decided he was going to kill someone and then very quickly realized that he was good at it. Yes. And and started branching out. And there that that progression in the movie is really nice. His first kill or whatever that we see is him uh abducting a little girl out of her yard and then they find her body later. And fortunately this is the kind of thing uh unlike mother where they're not going to show uh, yeah. <laughs> ch- child Jesus murder, Christ. child murder. You know that's there. They have a lot of restraint. And what, another thing that I love so much about this movie is that apparently it was shot digitally, but you would never, yeah. you would oh, never man. guess it. Like the tapes look so. Uh, realistically, like VHS, like they're degraded, like they're old tapes, like there's color distortions, image distortions, and the the older the tapes, the more heavily they're distorted. So it's like you could very well believe that these are just tapes that have been sitting in somebody's fucking closet for years, you know. And we only learned, uh, you know, just before we recorded this episode that they did actually uh, record a digitally. And uh, yeah, and, no. and did the effects in uh, in After Effects, I believe. There was a real great interview that I was able to find with him where he got because it's hard to find a lot of the details. There's very little information. I couldn't even about... find a production budget on uh, on the film. So. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't either. I looked too. I was curious for the budget, and I can't find one. Basically. All I know about the production is that they shot this in like 15 days or something like which, that, which is insane. Which is wild. I mean, I guess there's nothing they do that's too terrible that would be too terribly complicated to shoot. Yeah. But even a production that that's a short production, that's, a, that's extremely short, short production yeah. for a feature length film. Like fuck! In college, we were working on our senior films for like <laughs> for over a year, yeah. you know, and those are short films. Just to have such a a quick turnaround in terms of production is just uh, crazy, just absolutely nuts. Yeah, well, with that first kill, that first uh, um, recording that we get from the killer, I think it sets up what the director really finds scary: how to build up uh, a scary scene in a movie because. It doesn't do anything more than just a camera on this girl playing in front of her yard, but we know that this killer has got uh, other intentions and the warping on the video as well. In that interview, he says that it was used as a device in a way that the moments that you wanted to see the most, to have the most clarity is when it, it had the most like, The distortion, distortion. Is, the, is the heaviest, yeah. Right, and I think it really grips you in those moments, like what is happening on the screen, and then to also not have the full picture, like... Yeah, it really it really heightens that that anxiety, you know, like you don't want to see what's going to happen, but part of you does want to see it. And, you know, it's just like trying to focus in on it, too, because you have to look through so much. Yeah, it's almost like egging you on to have to observe closer. It's not a gory movie at all. There's there's very little actual blood. And honestly, the most disturbing scenes in this movie have no violence in them. No, one yeah, one yeah. scene where we actually do see blood that I think is one of the more disturbing scenes. But yeah, for the for the most part, a lot of those really uh, visceral, unnerving scenes are are not violent. Oh yeah, I I agree with that one hundred percent. And that uh, this killer that we have, he, he he's not a reclusive sort of character. He's talking a lot in these videos. Yeah. 
one of his next kills. He's um he's he you know uh, gets picked up by this family. That that stuff is uh, evocative. Just knowing that uh, a killer isn't someone that you'll notice right off the bat, and that a lot of it just comes from the way that he's playing with his victims. Yeah, and just right. Well, and playing with the police too. We get one scene early on where uh, the the police are checking gas station uh, surveillance cameras along this particular route that they think he must have driven and they they see him but he's obscuring his face and he signs something he spells out something uh, in sign language at the camera which they say which leads them to uh where they found a body and they say that he even did this before he picked up the people that he was going to kill and later dump at that place like he's thinking so far ahead he knows that at a certain point the police are gonna see this tape and he's just taunting them you know and it's it's stuff like that that is uh makes him such a such a scary villain you know he could probably go totally unnoticed if he wanted to but it's fun for him for the for the police to be looking for him right in that interview as well i i don't mean to go back to it all the time but really it's oh, sure. one of the few pieces of info that i was able to get on the movie there isn't even a commentary track apparently been found out on the blu-ray Unfortunately, that was released. there are some interviews but it's pretty uh, sparse, Steve. Uh, right, this is because this is like one of the first movies where I am like genuinely interested to know how they were able to do some of these things. Yeah, 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 same. But that he got uh, inspiration from well, a whole bunch of different murderers, but one of them specifically was Edmund Kemper, who was recently um, uh, psychoanalyzed in uh, the show Mindhunter. Great show on Netflix. I would highly. Oh recommend yeah, that's it. right. I thought that I I saw. That name in the interview too, and I thought that sounded familiar. Right, because he was a he was just an incredibly intelligent killer, a big guy, so he was able to overpower his victims just to have someone who is so calculating. You want to think that these killers, like they're just you know they're deranged, that they're just insane, or aren't thinking properly, but sometimes they are. They just decide they want to they want to kill, and that's yeah, that's that's some of the creepiest shit. It's a smart well, bad person. Well, that <laughs> one of the one of the most effective scenes I think is um later in the movie they're they're interviewing uh you know a cop or an FBI guy I don't remember exactly, and he's like I'm gonna read you just a few of the the profiles that profilers put together for these particular killings he's just reading all of these profiles and it's like every single one could be for a completely different person like they don't correspond you know and it it leads you to wonder like does this killer have a knowledge of profiling like he's actively does this guy watch court tv all does he the watch time? <laughs> does he watch forensic files this guy like this guy is like actively changing the way he kills people every time to purposely mislead the cops which could be it's it's one of those things where it might start to pull the curtain back a bit where you're like, okay, they're they're trying to build him up so much like this feels like it was just, you know, constructed for the movie's sake, but we we get so much time with the killer, I think that it makes sense and it works really well because they don't they don't just say it and then never make you really understand it that way. Well that- yeah, and the movie is so short too. 
at like 80 minutes. Yeah, you don't, 80, really, have minutes, you don't yeah. really have too much time to linger on some of the flourishes of the movie. Well, yeah, because the, the killer is also, he's... He's a very theatrical killer. One of the first times we ever actually see him on on camera, he's hiding in a who will end up being his main victim. He's hiding in her closet and he's wearing one of those uh those plague doctor or as it's said in the movie, a doctor of the plague. <laughs> yeah, like one of those like very theatrical with the yeah, with the long the long beaky nose. Right. <laughs> and we we see him wearing that a lot in throughout the movie. Uh sometimes accompanied by uh, a, a cape <laughs> and a and a and a ruffled collar and it's like it's the kind of thing that should be laughably yeah, dumb. I, yeah. I thought it was going to be really goofy scene. But that. somehow it's just not. No, like somehow it's it is actually effectively creepy, I think. It also does what Rob Zombie's Halloween could not do is to properly describe what can make a mask creepy because not only does he wear a mask, he ends up putting a mask on his his main victim. That um, I mean, it's really yeah. it's really the central conceit of the movie is that uh, at a certain point he uh, kidnaps this uh, young woman uh, Cheryl Dempsey, who's played by uh, uh, John Eric Dowdle's real life wife. Yes, right. Uh, which thank God that they could find someone who could commit to this kind of performance because the kind of shit. That she has to go through and perform in this movie. Oh is... yeah, it's 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 hard. She yeah. she's a she's a trooper. Like some of those scenes must have been very difficult. He does not kill her for some reason. There's something he likes about her, and he just keeps her hostage for years, just torturing her, uh, both physically and mentally and emotionally, just, uh, you know, keeps her around. She is, he calls her slave. That's one of the first scenes is he asks her her name, and when she says her real name, he says, no, your name is slave. Uh, And then he, uh, at some point, puts a mask over her as well, and so then... And puts her in, like, this uh, weird, I, I guess, like... It reminds me of the the kind of dress that you see, like the like the German girls wearing at like Oktoberfest. <laughs> right, you know? Yeah, it's like super uh, frilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts her in one of those and puts a, a woman's a female mask, Michael Myers mask. Yeah, on her. <laughs> Which that, that like that's the uh, one of those things where it uh, it showed me how scary that sort of thing is because we. We we can we see her in a lot of moments of pain where she's crying and being tortured, but we. We can't read her. All it is just this blankness. Yeah, the, and... All you can see is her eyes, and she does a lot with her eyes. You can see the, the, the pain and the fear and the terror, which is was scary because have such emotional eyes and such a, a blank, emotionless face with this mask is a, a really interesting, uh, scary dichotomy. And uh, her her mantra ends up becoming, uh, uh, you are the master and it pleases me to serve you, something like that. Right, yeah. And we just hear her repeat over and over and over and over and over again. Oh, I think one of the best scenes in this movie and one of the scenes that's most indicative of like this movie's M.O. in terms of how to scare the audience. One day, a couple Girl Scouts come over oh, to the yeah. house and, you know, he welcomes them inside, gets them a Coke 
I like to think that he's still wearing the Plague Doctor mask <laughs> wearing the cape, but I know that can't be right. No, of course not, but it would be. It's a But funny there's thought. such a tension throughout the whole scene because as an audience, we know that's not a place they want to be. Right, and no. then he's already murdered a, a, a four-year-old girl from the beginning, so there's no reason well, why. The, and the questions he's asking them, you can tell he's calculating whether he can comfortably kill them right. or not, and, and, and not be caught. You know, he's asking them things like, you know, do you live around here? Do you tell your parents where, you, where you're going? Uh, uh, when when you leave, like, do your parents know where you are now? And it's so tense because you're like, is he going to like murder, like kidnap and murder these these two young girls? Like, you just don't know. And then he decides that it's not worth the risk, and he lets them go. Well, I think that well, one is constructed so well because there are like a lot of little things. First off, one of the girls is more suspicious of the situation. One right. of them doesn't drink the juice that she's given. Yeah, that no, I noticed yeah. that too. And she that, she just she doesn't take a sip at all. Well, that's another thing. It's like you don't know if he's drugged their drinks or not. Like it's Right. And that um then we hear like this noise and uh you know like and we know it to be um uh, Cheryl. I, I just thought about this now, but like that no, after the noise is being made and he realizes that He's not going to be able to buy those cookies because, like, he says it's a raccoon in the basement and he's asking if they want to go down there. I think that Cheryl making that noise was also her trying to make sure those girls weren't killed. Well, that could be. Cheryl wasn't in the basement. Well, no, but that she was like under that table, so he was going to lead them into the basement to to murder them. And well, so there's making... there's a, I think it's implied that there's uh, another girl in the basement. Yeah, it's like he has, uh, a prostitute. I think he decides to let the girls go. He tells them to show themselves out, and you get that moment of relief, like, who? Thank God! Like these girls just dodged like the biggest fucking bullet, and then. He pulls uh, the tablecloth off of the coffee table in the living room where they're sitting, and Cheryl is under the table, uh, bound, you know, wearing her mask and with a with a mirror on the floor right in her face as so she has to look at herself. And it's just like, the first time I saw that, like, that shit still hits me really hard, just knowing that she was in the room the entire time, yeah. like, right where he's sitting and talking with these two little girls and then to just have that uh just be revealed just that have she's the tablecloth ripped out from under you yeah literally. yeah literally like have the rug pulled from you from under you and that she's just there the whole time and that's a that's a very scary scene i think yeah i think it's one of the most effective scenes in the movie honestly yeah. because like there's no violence in it you know it's all done through implications right. and what the audience knows and expectations. Right. Which some people might find that boring, but to them I'll say you can stick to watching your fucking like creature feature movies and just well, like, yeah, yeah, like and just whatever. <laughs> People call this movie boring, but paranormal activity not boring. Like, <laughs> right? The, no, this movie like boring is one of the last words exactly, that I would ever yeah. use to describe exactly. this movie. Like, no, this, this is not a boring this movie. Movie is just overflowing with tension throughout. Oh yeah, it's so tense. Like watching this movie is like an eighty-minute anxiety attack. Right. You know, like and it. 
it does not try and give you any happy message near the end. Oh, there is no, no comeuppance oh, no. here at all. And it's, God, it's one of the situations where, like, yeah, Cheryl Dempsey has been tortured and abused. There's footage of the killer, like, telling her that he's killed her whole family and she should be thanking him because she wanted them dead. And then after all these years... Of him switching up his M.O., of him, like, like he's, yeah, like we mentioned, he, he's murdering prostitutes at a certain point, like, pretending to be a cop, which... Well, yeah, he, he creates that. he creates this profile of the, the Water Street butcher serial killer where he's only killing prostitutes and he's impersonating a cop. I will actually say, like, that... That whole little bit feels like a real segue in the whole movie. It does, I, but it it works for me though because especially they they have uh, one of the profiles or something explaining he was doing that so people would think, oh well, if you're not a prostitute, you're safe, or if you're not a woman, you're safe because this the Water Street butcher only kills prostitutes right, or whatever. It's just more, it's, and it's it's because then. There's a whole, like, um, there's a cop that and they find his DNA and that he's been framed. But the way, like, they describe it, like, he was able to get his semen from, like, a fertility from clinic. A, yeah, from a fucking yeah. sperm bank. Just, How does that happen? It's like, and also, the cop, like, they never have any footage of him speaking because as soon as this guy talks, as an audience, we're going to immediately yeah, know that isn't the killer. Yeah. And so that all that stuff like that, that feels a little more like... Like set up for convenience and to throw. Well, yeah, it's a it's there, it's a bit of misdirection, you know. They right. they they like approach it, was... it like like this this cop was the real killer. They don't tell you otherwise, you know. They found his DNA. They arrested him. Uh, you know, he was on trial and then he was put on death row and executed. And then right after he's executed. Uh, then we get a, a a videotape shot by the killer of when he's sitting in a bar while uh, a news report is on about the guy he's about to be executed in an hour. And so, oh, yeah. you know, I just, okay, I, no, it's not. I, I, I think definitely it's... agree that the Jim Foley subplot is probably the most out there part of the movie. But I, I actually think it's incredibly effective in that it's like that one moment of possible payoff that just gets cut down it doesn't but like the fact that we uh we never hear his voice at all throughout it i think it overplays its hand um too immediately for me like i wasn't convinced by any of it well uh, yeah i think i think we as the audience know no i'll say it's well done but I, but I, i don't think i don't think it's necessarily supposed to try to truly mislead the audience i think as the audience we know that there's no way that this guy is actually the killer. But what I appreciate is that the film doesn't say that outright, like, oh, well, they got the wrong guy. Like, they play it like there's the possibility that this was the right oh, yeah. guy. Even though even though I don't think they really intend to truly mislead you, you know? I think they... Well, and that's the thing, that, too. That's what, that's what makes it like a true crime documentary, yeah, you, you know? if you were making a Forensic Files type of thing you would make it after the fact and after the fact they would know that he's not the actual guy the most out there part of the jim foley 
subplot was the the 911 stuff. Um, yeah, that and- they that he was executed what like 2 days before 911 and then they realized that they had got the wrong guy and that they published it in the paper but because 911 happened it got pushed from front page to page 6 right. or something like that. This is the second movie I've seen since Spotlight that's painted 911 as an inconvenience to yeah. the plot. <laughs> Yeah, to the, to the law, exactly. Like, right, like, just, uh, sorry, the biggest terrorist act in history happened when this murderer was coming around or when priests were molesting children. It's the but. Catholic Church. Yeah, <laughs> the Water, the water the Street church. Butcher was in collusion with Al-Qaeda. Yeah, and the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church. Oh, my God. We really do need Spotlight. It's one big conspiracy. Someone call Michael Keaton. Right. Yeah. Give us the director's commentary on Poughkeepsie Tapes. You have the answers. Like even though even though the nine eleven thing works in the narrative of the movie, I always groan a little bit when yeah, it comes up. That, yeah, that was that was really good. That's one of those things. Like, it's like goddamn nine eleven. It's like yeah, goddamn nine eleven. because this entire movie, I kept thinking about another fake documentary we've mentioned on the podcast uh, Lake Mungo which I yeah, really Yeah, which is enjoyed. actually the and the number one recommended uh film on IMDb I from thought, the if you go to the Poughkeepsie Tapes page it's And that's one where like I wouldn't say any of it's particularly cheesy like it's done with a very like serious tone but it also suffers around the middle because I mean all of it is like like thematically appropriate but that it's there because they like realized uh, we need to we try and add something in more, and we gotta pad it out. Yeah, right. we, we gotta, gotta pad, pad it out. out. We gotta make them scarier. I would, so. I would say the the Jim Foley subplot of the Poughkeepsie tapes is probably the 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 most noticeably uh, constructed, or, constructed, yeah. and and uh, different from the rest of the movie. You know, but it it still works for it me. I don't have a pro- I don't have a problem with it at all. Oh yeah, you know, no, I, it, I appreciate like. I think it's it's some that even just the the idea to do something like that shows some real care on the filmmaker's parts because that's the kind of thing that uh, a stupider movie would not even consider. You yeah. know, R- kinda- regardless how you feel about how effective it is in the context of the rest of the movie, just the concept is uh, is I th- I think shows intelligence. It kind of oh, brings oh, about yes, you will- know deeper ideas of the nature of justice and society. Too. Yeah, absolutely. That they that an, an innocent man was wrongly accused and executed. And then a day after his execution, they're like, oh, shit, we fucked up. We got the wrong guy. It's like, well, at that point, I mean, how many lives have you destroyed, you know, aside from just killing this innocent man yeah, it's like also, you've just, also destroyed his fam- his legacy uh his family's lives you know it's, he's just another victim of the water street butcher exactly he, and they and he's another kill and how callously the documentary brushes that off too i think is uh is very effective that it's just like just like a true crime show it's like they they don't go into like well shit we really fucked up you know we we executed an innocent man you know like what is they they of course just like totally brush it under the table they they go back to talking about the actual killer you know because that's what the movie's about and then the the jim foley thing becomes like uh you know an afterthought i think is is uh is very realistic and very effective after all of this um playing with the police i forget what it um 
what it was that he he sent to the the police. He sent that he had, sent the police uh, oh, a, a, a custom a custom <laughs> oh, made map, map from MapQuest, map yeah. which <laughs> dates the fuck out of this yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that had a, 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 a like an X on the map that said you missed one. Yes, after Jim Foley was after Jim Foley was executed. So that's how they knew they they got the wrong the wrong guy. And they through internet investigation they saw they they found the address of his house from you know where he created the yeah, custom well, map I mean, or whatever easy because only one person uses map quest right yeah, just just the, just the killer and so <laughs> they think makes sense. they think oh we fucking got him you know so they come in with the SWAT team and the helicopters and the dogs and the bomb squad and everything and the house is completely empty except except for, for in the closet these boxes and boxes and boxes of VHS tapes numbered sequentially. And they um, find a closed-up coffin-looking box. Yes. And they pop it open, and lo and behold, Cheryl Dempsey is alive somehow. Just gaunt as hell, looking like a corpse straight up. After after being uh you know living in in bondage for like 10 years or something like that like a decade. That's another thing I appreciated too that they said Jim Foley was sentenced to death but it took like 5 years for it to happen. That was which, like, that was maybe that was maybe the most I would no I would say that's maybe the most unrealistic thing about it is that he was only on death row for 5 <laughs> years because most people who are on death row End up dying in prison of old age before they're ever but, executed. Hey, I mean, like, well, I mean, ser- number, serial serial killers. I guess like they, the uh, fact that it didn't happen, like immediately after he was sentenced, I thought that that was just. Uh, oh sure, yeah. Just, uh, I mean, that's you know, that's bureaucracy. Yeah. You know, killers. Uh, but I guess for serial killers, they they expedite that process a little bit. But whatever. So they they find Cheryl Dempsey. He's left her behind for them to find. You know, with with all of his tapes, so they can so they can watch all of this stuff. Right. And usually, it in a movie, it's like the you'd... ultimate taunt. You would be like, "Oh, it's great that uh, that she sur- she survived this whole thing," but man, it does not let you feel good about that. No, no, it does not. Well, they talk about her wounds and you know her, her hospital time, and they say, you know, oh, her wounds were getting worse, and we didn't we didn't know why while she was in the hospital you know like her bones were not healing and stuff, and they say, well, it's because she had been living with daily pain for such a long time that she didn't know how to live without it so she was torturing herself in the hospital and that's why she wasn't healing because she at that point she was so mentally broken that she didn't know how to live without constant horrific pain which is uh you know, it's one of those things that just kind of makes your skin crawl. And then at the very end, we get uh, the the filmmakers manage to secure a uh, an interview with Cheryl. And that's another one of those scenes where it's not violent at all, but it's still just so... One of the scariest. Just so, yeah, so scary. She's just emaciated, you know, she, her eye, you can see in her eyes, like, she's, she's just completely broken. She's not there. 
And basically all the interview is is her saying over and over again, I don't know what you want me to say. Truly just a broken person. Because we see earlier in the film when she's first kidnapped, the killer is having her say specific things. He's conditioning her so she won't say anything without his permission. So she's just like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, what do you want me to say? And then they they tell us that like uh, two weeks after that interview, she killed herself or whatever and in a suicide note pro- yeah. pro- proclaiming her undying love to the killer for the master yep right and saying that he would he would uh come back for her or something and then we do see that after she was buried her her body was dug up and right which and is removed. actually it's uh uh, a, sh- a video that we see at the, the very beginning, beginning at the very very beginning yeah. I think of of a of a body being pulled out of the ground and you're that's one of those things where at the beginning you're like what the fuck what is that and so that's that's a really nice callback you know yeah. at the end and just to to see that that like the overall effect of what this man has done to Cheryl and how she like you know in true Stockholm syndrome style she ended up falling in love with him even though he was you know abusing her horribly on a daily basis because it's just at a certain point it's all she knows it's it becomes normalized there's a great shot in the Cheryl interview where she's like touching her hair oh yeah she scratches her she scratches her head and she's just missing a hand that's like they just they they softball that the fuck in there and that's a that's really effective you know, because you can't, you know, the shot is, you know, maybe from her chest up to her head with a little bit of headroom, standard yeah. interview Another great framing. example of restraint right there. Yeah, and then at it's a certain, all implied. Yeah, at a certain point, she reaches up to scratch her head with the fucking nub where her hand used to be. And it's like, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think I think lesser filmmakers would have pounded that. Oh element yeah, absolutely, home much absolutely. Harder. Yeah, man, it's fucking wild to me how amazing this movie is and how effective and truly scary this movie is. And then just like everything else that the Dowls have done, other than Waco, is just yeah, such man, garbage. Well, yeah, it's super weird because like Waco is incredible. There's a lot of like exploitation-y movies out there where, like, the focus is all about the gore and the gross-out stuff. Right. A lot of times, those movies are gross, but they're not scary no like i'm so i'm so desensitized to gore and like that's the I, thing. it just does you know, nothing like for having me. such gore and stuff on your movie distances you from what's happening you know i think yeah. because you know it's done in a way where you know we're watching through the medium of film we know it's not real we can we can justify it in our head with a movie like this where it frames itself in such authenticity yeah. And leaves so much to the imagination. Like, a lot of that is just pulled out from under us. And because of that, even though it's not gory or bloody, like, it's probably the most disturbing horror movie, one of them, that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Hand, hands down. It's a fucking feel-bad movie. There's no way to watch this movie without feeling like absolute shit afterwards like i said it's not something that i can that i can return to regularly because it is in so many ways 
such an unpleasant viewing experience, but intentionally, and that's what makes it so fucking good. Like, I'm just blown away by how effective this movie is and how, with all of the shit that I watch, all of the horror stuff that I watch, that a movie can still... Uh, impact me in such a way like disturb me so to my core and that is that is truly good filmmaking and it's because of this movie that I will hold out hope for the Dowdles and I'll check out their future stuff and just hope that they're gonna hit another home run like the Poughkeepsie tapes and not just do another fucking uh, devil or quarantine. Well, you know? hopefully when they do eventually hit another home run, it won't be pulled before it gets to the yeah. yes. Jesus yeah. Christ. One thing I just, and this is a, a, a segue, this is dumb, but this killer's active in the 90s and then he escapes and so he could still be active with his obsession with videos and stuff. I'm so sorry that I thought about this, but what if he grows up to become Stephen Ray in Fear.com? Oh my god. Uh, no, fuck when looking off. through the lens, there's a disconnect. <laughs> well, it's because uh, I know that's not that's not true because he didn't have the, the stupid fucking voice that Stephen yes, Ray oh, had. Imagine if he had that voice. Oh my god. God, I think movie. I would hate that. I think I would hate the movie then. You will call me master. <laughs> <laughs> what is your name, slave? <laughs> God. I really have to agree with you, and I'm so thankful that I was finally um, able to see this. And uh, to know that it was just after the Blu-ray was released as well just seems like a, a great time to check this out. Yeah, absolutely. For anyone who hasn't heard about this or who, or who has and hasn't known where to find it, just... You really have to do yourself a, a favor and check this movie out. If you're a fan of horror movies, I, yeah. this is... I, I would recommend the shit out of this movie, but with a disclaimer that this is a truly horrifying <laughs> film and that you are not going to have a pleasant experience when you're watching it. But if you're if you're a, a fan of craft and just good filmmaking and you're masochistic enough to like to make yourself feel like shit, this is the fucking movie for you. I, I really could not recommend this movie more to this a specific type of of horror fan. This is not a film that's for everybody. Absolutely I, not. I saw on the blu-ray page that it's a region locked american release so oh really I, I don't know how easy or hard it would be what? to find it internationally so if you're listening to this internationally hopefully you can find it uh i mean it's on video on demand so i if can anything, you should be able to see it through that but like i can recommend uh a bay where uh pirates are known to uh <laughs> To dwell and you know do their 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 thing you know and firing cannons and sword fighting and stuff and uh, you know maybe if you were to take a, a trip to to said bay <laughs> then um, then maybe uh, one of said pirates might have a copy of this movie lying around somewhere that they'd be able to let you watch yeah, yeah you never know you, you do, never know make sure you bring some VPN with you so you don't get scurvy. <laughs> 
But yeah, they they I I like that they end this movie saying that he is still out there somewhere and that somewhere in America, it, probably in a small town, the disappearance and murder rates are slowly rising right. and that he could be living among <laughs> you. You know that is what like thinking about it. Sure that they're, they're all like none of them are really big name actors, but there are a lot of people that are interviewed and that uh, are on the screen, and I gotta say, overall, like all of them put like they're put in work for for their roles. I, I mean, you you buy it, like yeah, they feel like, they feel like real people. You know, it has that that corny forensic files style quality to it. But you know, it, it like feels that, so. it feels it feels authentic. You yeah. know, I would I would really be curious someday to show this movie to somebody who's never fucking heard of it and tell them that it's a real true crime documentary and see if they fucking buy it because it's so authentic it feels so fucking real you know i guess i'll segue into into ratings then um this is without rehashing too much just a, a an incredibly well constructed uh visceral scary uh just nightmare of a fucking movie and uh, it, it has one of the most profound effects on me that any movie ever has, especially horror. And uh, for that reason, I'm going to I'm going to give it a, a strong fucking five out of five. You could argue that some things are corny or that don't work or that the Jim Foley subplot is kind of contrived or whatever. But for me, just like the overall effect that this movie has on me is so profound that it's, it's, it's a sign of good filmmaking when when uh a movie can impact you on such a, a a visceral level. So five out of five from me. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. I feel like this is one of the most effective horror movies I've ever seen. It's one of the scariest horror movies I've ever seen, and it does so without ever feeling gratuitous. Right. Like, you never get an excessive amount of gross-out stuff. It never has enough time to have lulls where you you kind of fall into disbelieving anything. It's so tightly paced and uh, well shot. It's just such a good movie. It's one of my personal favorite horror movies. It, Same. It affected me in such a way when I first saw it. It even builds up on repeat viewings, I would say. It's not yeah. a movie you want to come back to very often because it's so disturbing. But it's, at the same time, it's not graphic so it's not like you're submitting yourself it's more psychological more than anything it's the else. kind it's the kind of disturbing that makes you happy for what you have in your life you exactly, know it's yeah. it's it's a cathartic kind of disturbing like who thank god my life is in the grand scheme of things pretty fucking all right you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's one of those things it doesn't it's not going to make you feel good but after it's over you're going to be grateful for what you have well and this movie does one of the most masterful things i've seen in a low budget movie which i don't see very often it, which is using the shortcomings of the budget to emphasize the strengths of the movie where it feels more authentic because some of the the cheap acting or the low budget film quality or film style so yeah i think this is a near perfect movie i'm gonna give it a five out of five yeah even with the cheesier moments none of it ever really took away from what i thought was just really great filmmaking and 
uh, a lot of attention to to what can be scary. I think uh, I guess I'd want to say psychological horror, but I think that all like a really great horror movie at a certain point is psychological that it plays with your with your perception of things and just like I think you're right. how how the world works around you. And so I'm going to give this a 5 out of 5 as well. I probably would have loved this more if it was in a different language. <laughs> <laughs> 6 out of 5. Yeah, 6, six out, out of 5. five. <laughs> if this had been a French movie. Yeah, this is French. I would have fucking gone crazy. All right. Well, that is a resounding, unanimous, perfect score for the Poughkeepsie tapes from us. So uh, I I don't know what you want me to say. I, I don't think we can recommend this movie anymore. Um, so if this is the first all five star review, yeah, I I think think the next closest was uh, Pulse, I think that was like Pulse was up there, Dead Alive was Dead Alive was up there, yeah, Yeah, but I think this is the first time we have all given a a perfect score for a movie. The first movie on our golden greats, yeah, golden greats, momentous, momentous, perfect five. (laughs) So, uh, if you like really, really fucking scary movies, then see the Poughkeepsie tapes, find it, buy the fucking Blu ray, honestly, like give them your money, they deserve it, yeah. Um, or you know, otherwise, that that bay that that I was talking about, I know know. some torrents that are pretty kick ass. Hey, we don't use that word on our show, oh, yeah, I know. Some, some turrets. <laughs> some turrets. Yeah, some turrets. If you live in the States, you you shouldn't have too hard of a time finding this. Uh, if you're international, might be a little bit harder, but worth the effort, I think. Well, uh, next week we are unfortunately not going to be doing a full episode. We're going to be doing another mini pod uh, just because uh, it's WrestleMania this weekend, and Woo-hoo! we are yeah. having yeah we're we're getting psyched for that and having a big old party, and uh, we are not going to be in any state to record the morning after WrestleMania. So. Uh, uh, expect another shorter episode from us next week. I don't know if we've 100% decided on what uh, that is going to be. Uh, maybe Ravenous. Uh, maybe See No Evil in uh, in honor of the WWE. Um, but expect uh, a mini pod on, from us again next week. If you like the show, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We're still looking to bump up those numbers a little bit. Uh, you can follow the show at Pod People Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, engage with us. Tell us uh, some movies that you want to see. Let us know what you think about the Poughkeepsie tapes. Uh, all of that good shit. The show is produced and scored by our own uh, Benny Boy Slave Sheets uh, and edited by me, Slave. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. Uh, I've been doing a lot of drunk tweeting lately which is not great. Um, so if you want to see me make a mess of myself, then by all means, follow me on Twitter. Uh, do either of you guys have anything you want uh, to plug? Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, or recommendations, email us at podpeoplepod at gmail.com. It's 2018, and we still love getting emails. <laughs> I'm pivoting a bit in my back rubs. Now I'm selling dubs, so dubs and back rubs. Dubs and rubs. Yeah, dubs and rubs. Oh, can I use that? Dubs and rubs. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to take, take a royalty, though. Dubs and rubs, and I will 
I will rub in the tub. So if you need a dub and a back rub in the tub, uh, bub. I'll be your, hey, I'll be your, I'll be your bub. Subs <laughs> not dubs. Subs not dubs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I ain't no submissive. I'm dub missive. <laughs> Until next time, uh, I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Ben Sheets, your boy. And I am Eugene. Yeah, I'm reading that right. There we go. Your name is Slave. (laughs) Well, we are the pod people, and uh, I don't know what you want me to say. (laughs) I don't know what you want me to say. I don't know what you want me to say.